Ed Source, your home for I hope you've got insurance. My name is Nathan, your ouchiest host. I'm Andy, your Andiest host. And I'm Pat, and I'm chilling out the host. Mm, <laughs> well, another uh, beautiful day in paradise, aka my house. How how yeah. are you guys doing? A few weeks into quarantine. Getting kind of bored with uh, YouTube and video games, not going to lie. I definitely, I'm reaching a point where the days really are just blurring together. I'm not really sure what day it is. There have been a number of days out of the week where I start drinking halfway through the day just because I'm not going anywhere. Not like getting drunk, but just like, you know what? I feel like having a glass of wine and I'm going to have one. Why not? Right, was it... Was it one of you that sent me that that link to a Forbes article that said Americans are doing an extensive amount of weed, drinking too much, and watching too much porn? And yes, I sent you that <laughs> Forbes article. Yeah, yeah but and my, like define excessive though, like exactly. <laughs> like what else are we doing right now? Yeah, I saw how I... much porn is too much porn. Honestly. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I saw I, I saw a tweet the other day uh, that said something like, damn, even sleep is getting boring. Mm. Well, uh, and you know what's kind of fun about that is it starts to turn into other things. I spent a fair amount of time this morning cleaning up some of my stuff in the basement that's sort of just been like accumulating as like a pile where I can dump stuff I don't need, but I might need later. And so I kind of like, I got a chance to go through it, clean it up, throw some stuff out get it neat and organized and so yeah you know we're slowly kind of getting around to some things that have we've been wanting to get around to for a while which is nice yeah for sure um it's funny that you should mention uh how much is too much porn um you can <laughs> you can actually develop an addiction and some people have you know it interferes with their life like I would say that that's where it gets problematic, is if you are uh, experiencing problems in other sectors of your life that are related to this addiction. You know, so a friend of mine recently got married to this guy. So she's a friend of mine from college, and she got married, and, and when we got to the wedding, like, it was a surprise to find out that she was pregnant at the wedding, and that wasn't the biggest surprise. The biggest surprise was we found out this stuff about her new husband, who, he's a nice enough guy, I didn't really get to know him very well, that was the first time I ever met him, because uh, she lives in Indianapolis, but, um... That is definitely not how you say that city name, but I understand what you're saying. No, uh, I was going to say she lives in Indiana, and then I decided to go ahead and say Indianapolis. I love it, I love it. Yeah. Um, anyway, she lives in Indiana, Indianapolis, Indiana, specifically. So so we found out uh, that her, her new husband had had some issues with that, basically. He had been, he had gone, he was, I think, a veteran. I think he served and had some trauma of some kind. And so when he came back, like, okay. he isolated, he got into some bad stuff and started going down this, like, dark web rabbit hole of porn. I don't know all the details and I don't want to pry. And, you know, we all have been through We've all gone through shit, so right. I'm not trying to judge or anything, but yeah, you're absolutely right. He actually got into legal trouble for it. Oh, well, yeah, that's definitely also a problem. Yeah. Um, but like addictions, like anything else, it's like 
your pathway in your brain that handles the reward center makes you repeat behaviors that are generally like going to pass your genes on to the next generation and increase your survival. But where it gets problematic is the more you do something repeatedly, you lose that same uh, dopamine reward um, and you're chasing that first uh, initial dopamine hit and then you you start seeking novelty and you need like in the case of drugs you need like bigger and bigger doses to get the right. same payoff that you had earlier and if you get your brain accustomed to very large hits of dopamine from whatever you can get it from skydiving you can get it from really good food you can get it from whatever um then normal things that should be giving you a dopamine hit like productive pro-social things aren't giving you that uh same dopamine release that you're used to so and, and that describes the right the pathway of addiction to any number of things but including you know like methamphetamine cocaine especially but also pornography right and this is where the jokes about like as people are dying them say like blast my cash <laughs> or like delete my browser history right yeah yeah come from you know like, yeah get a get a little like medical wrist bracelet that says delete my browser history that's pretty funny actually it yeah i was like God. i like the phrase blast my cash uh, so that's what i've heard before heard if we can uh, some other stuff that's been going on this week in addition to america's porn addiction oh by the by the way i, I don't know if I, th I think we mentioned this on a previous episode but Pornhub has extended like free premium memberships to people during quarantine <laughs> it's crazy it's it's so great all over the Pornhub world has done more to help the world than like amazon by a lot <laughs> so i i did see a thing where um last winter oh for sure where, where um you know there was tons and tons of snow Pornhub was like buying plows and like plowing yeah neighborhoods Oh yeah, and they've and they've done stuff like on Arbor Day before, like for I think the the month that Arbor Day was in one year, every video they that you watched for every like ten thousand videos or whatever, uh, they would donate <laughs> like they would plant a tree. The the sex industry is like bizarrely uber philanthropic, like they and 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 it's been that way for a long time. Well, I'm Pornhub specifically because the the reason I'm familiar with them is because I'm on Reddit all the time. And their PR stuff, when it first started up, had a huge, like, they would just drop in on different, like, non-porn-themed Reddits and oh just, like, ma make different jokes and stuff like that. They would donate money, they would, like, but they would try and be, like, involved yeah. in the That's community, great. and I was like that. Yeah, and certainly no other reason. So, <laughs> right. Well, and the, the thing is, for for that part of it, it doesn't matter if they sell porn or socks the them getting in like i love like wendy's uh twitter uh stuff now oh wendy's twitter is savage amazing but it's amazing and it's mm -hmm. such a good pr for them but it, it sort of took a bold vision for them to be like 
All right, go sit on McDonald's <laughs> yeah. for a while now, I guess. So, uh, <laughs> how's your guys' week going? Good. I keep on, like, it is so hard to come up with new stuff that I've, like, it's very much yeah, like much. our it's lives are just Groundhog's news. Day right now, yeah. right? Like, Well, but I will say that, like, since yeah. our last, since last week's episode, uh, there has been, the, the conversation around Bernie dropping out and Joe Biden being the presumptive nominee has really exploded, at least in my social sphere on Facebook. Right. Well, because you're specifically asking questions about it, too. Well, no, no. I mean, like, I am, yeah, but I'm doing that as a response because I'm hearing people talk about it. I'm seeing other people posting about it constantly. And so I'm now, like, really trying to get in and try and get a feel for kind of the zeitgeist of the situation, you know? I'm probably misusing that. Uh, Zeitgeist just means, like, the spirit of the times. Right. So I think think I use it okay. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's a correct use of it. So, I mean, I'm kind of bummed out, obviously, because uh, Bernie was kind of my guy. Um, (laughs) As the self-proclaimed most conservative person on this podcast, that's a strange thing to say. I don't think I said that. I I don't know that I said that ever. But anyway... Yeah, so, I mean, there are issues that I think are going to come about that might fracture the party in a way that, uh, you know, doesn't bring people into the voting booths. So I think that's that's what's going to be really too bad about this situation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I for me, I'm looking at it like pretty much now... I'm I'm pretty sure Trump is just going to win. He's going to win again. I, and I don't really see any other scenario happening at this point. But I think it will be interesting. And what I'm watching for, and the reason why I keep asking about it on Facebook and stuff like that, is I'm I'm I am also like Pat. I'm watching the Democratic Party, or that is to say, the the liberal left, because the the American left is splitting right now, and the progressive wing is fed up with the Democratic Party establishment. And what they do about that, I think, is going to be very, very interesting. I think it's very possible that it could fracture into two new two parties. And if that were to happen, I think... I'm, well, on one hand, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, I can't try and project like more than four four years in the future. But I just don't think that the Democratic Party is going to be anywhere near. Like, it's not going to. We're not going to be looking at a, th- a at a two party election come twenty twenty four. I think. Yeah, this will always be the problem. Is like I, they might fracture off into a small other party, which might be enough to screw over Democrats, but. It's. I think a lot of Democrats are pragmatic about this stuff. I mean, we've we've all voted for what's lesser it evil us? many times before. Evil. No, it's gotten us Barack Obama. You know, it's 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 gotten us. I'm I'm not saying like even for me, Barack Obama was still a. Uh, it, it was settling for him. He wasn't he wasn't exactly who I wanted, but I voted for him twice, and I I'm happy with my choice. There's stuff that I didn't like that he did, but. I do think that we pr- produced plenty of good candidates. It's not in the it's past. not our topic for this week, but um, this does segue very nicely into well, the sort of election reform that we wanted to talk about next week. Yeah. No, I, 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 but I, it's it's uh, I, this is just the only thing that's really been yes. happening this week, at least for me. 
that's that's interesting and worth talking about. Hmm. And I'm trying to think. I really we've been trying to walk a couple times a day, just get out of the house, get active, which has sucked because it's been Ooh, it was beautiful cold yesterday. and rainy and stuff a lot. I've been uh, again just uh, I've been doing a lot of cooking, so I did uh, like a really nice like garlic cheddar mashed potato thing for Easter. Uh, we had a honey baked ham. I did uh, some asparagus in uh, some bacon fat and got it nice and crispy on the outside and soft and delicious on the inside. Just like trying nice. different stuff. And nice. baking, I baked like four different loaves of bread this week. So. Oh, yeah. And one of them was fantastic. <laughs> and the other ones were okay. What, what did you do differently? All right. The one that I used, I actually have uh, some sesame seeds that I use when I do like any sort of Asian cooking. I like to toast them up and then put them on top of whatever like stir fry I make or whatever. I think it adds a nice bit of flavor to it. But I ended up making one of my loaves. So the one that was great, um, I have a Dutch oven. You combine, I think, wait, I think I can probably do this. You combine uh, three and a half cups of flour with uh, about a cup and a third of hot water. You use a teaspoon and a half of baking yeast and about two tablespoons of salt. The thing I like about this recipe is most baking, I think, is like science. You have mm. to be exact with it. And this recipe is pretty forgiving. But you you form that up uh, and you let it uh, rise for about an hour and a half to two hours. Uh, you uh, go ahead and start your oven at the end of that two hours at 400 degrees. And I don't know if anybody at home cares about this at all, but I'm going to finish it now because <laughs> I started it. You go ahead and reform your dough. You go ahead and like turn it again, form it into a ball, let it rise for another 15 minutes to a half an hour while your oven is getting hot. You put it on some parchment paper inside of your Dutch oven with the lid on. You let that cook for half an hour. You take, uh, take it out. You take the lid off. That lid is going to be screaming hot, so make sure to use uh, appropriate pot holders or whatever. And then you take the parchment paper out. You leave the loaf of bread inside the screaming hot Dutch oven, put it back in the oven, and let it cook for another 10 to 15 minutes, depending on how dark you want the top of it to be. And what I did is before I threw it in the oven, uh, after that two hours of rising, I went ahead and threw a bunch of sesame seeds in that bowl as I turned it the second time. And I got a really nice sesame seed loaf of bread. And cool. it was oh, yeah. fantastic. So speaking of healthcare, was that a smooth transition <laughs> or no? I thought it was pretty it. good. Let's do it. If you eat too much of that bread, you're definitely going to need some healthcare. Oh, dude. I love bread. Don't talk shit about bread. Be like Oprah. Eat more bread. I just I I so just any, described yeah, no, the I whole recipe. <laughs> bread is great. If anyone bread here is, is a fan of bread, it's me. A friend of mine made pancake covered bacon. Like she made bacon so, yeah, but... and then she poured pancake batter and cooked that. So it was like it was like a stick of pancake oh, with cool. bacon. It was Ooh, that could really be good. Fun. Okay. Um so <laughs> getting back to the thing you tried to get back to before our theme this week is going to be healthcare, single pair, universal, private, whatever you, whatever your uh, jam is. We're going to talk about it. I'm guessing we're going to uh, talk about and disagree about uh, Pete Buttigieg's mm -hmm. plan because I know Andy, you are a big fan of that. We're going to get into some stuff, and uh, I'm excited to have this conversation. We've been talking about having this conversation 
I mean, basically, since we started is, the is podcast. Is the uh, universal, but if you want it, and if you don't want it, yes. you can stick to the one you have? Which is not far off from right. Biden's plan, either. Although, I don't know why, but I don't like Biden's as much. <laughs> I don't what's, even know. What's the difference? <laughs> I will say the shitty thing that Biden did this week as a... I don't even see a, say a half-hearted, like a a ten percent hearted gesture towards the progressive wing is uh, he uh, said that he wanted to expand Medicare, um, but his expansion was to like age sixty, which is less than what Hillary offered in the last election. So what he offered was nothing. Wow. Well, let's start out with kind of just laying a little bit of groundwork here um, because I think there's we want to make sure that we're using all the same you know we're, we're, we're using all the same words in the same way and everything like that right sure so when you say single payer what does that um, mean so single payer is a system or one entity one single entity which is responsible for paying the health care claims single payer is has to do with how many parties are responsible for paying the bill? Right. Um, so it also makes for it, instance, I was just going to say it makes it incredibly easy for that system to advocate for lower prices as well, because they're buying it in such huge bulk that it makes it easier to bring costs down. Well, kind of. I mean, yeah, yes, but go ahead. No, because not just yes, because the the person. The, the, the entity that is paying for it isn't necessarily buying the drugs themselves. They're just paying the health care bill. So I would it's say, the, the hospitals bill sure. the government in, in, in most cases. So they aren't directly buying it. Sure. Um, it's, it's, connected, thinking of, it's connected 90% of the time. So I guess that's that's fine. You can separate that out well, if you want. Mm, what you're talking about more is, is universal health care, universal coverage. And – that's where the buying power starts to come in a little bit more, I think. But they they often go hand in hand, but not always. Medicare is a single payer system. Medicaid is not. The ACA is is not universal health care, obviously, right. because there's millions of people who are still unemployed, uh, uninsured rather, <laughs> unemployed. Well, yes, that too. That too, but not not related. Not because of this, right? So, you know. I think just understanding the difference between those two terms, because we people use them interchangeably and they aren't actually interchangeable. And it's just good to have a decent definition of those kinds of terms, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, I think that's fair. So so I think the, uh, the meme that I've seen going around is that um, more than ever with the quarantine and the coronavirus and people being unemployed, that... Uh, now people are seeing the problem with tying your health right. insurance to employment. Well, which I mean, I kind of agree with, but um, yes, you know, at the same time, I I have distinctions to draw about that. So big time, and this is kind of you. I'm so I'm glad that you brought that up. This is kind of I think some of the nuance to to some of the healthcare discussion because a lot of the best. Healthcare systems in the world, Singapore, Australia, those are two that I know of that are absolutely fantastic healthcare systems, are what's called a two-tier system. They're not, they are universal coverage, 
everyone is insured, but it's not a single payer system. Okay, can you expand on that? Like what does that what does that mean then? Yeah, basically there is basic healthcare coverage the government provides, which is the first tier, which is like you can go into if you have a if you get shot or have a limb cut off or get coronavirus, you can walk into a hospital and you can get healthcare. But then there's a second tier for higher standard of care for people who can afford it. So if you want to spend more on your insurance and get, say, some elective procedures done or, yeah. say, um, you know, you want to be able to go to the doctor even if you just have a little bit of a cough, like whatever it is that you want out of your health care, you can get by just paying a little bit more if you want right. to. Um, everybody's covered. Everyone has sort of that, think, you know, catastrophe level, right? You know, cancer treatments and whatever you need, whatever you need, need. But there's an elective upgrade, I guess you can call it. In a lot of ways, that seems superior to me, especially because a lot of the industry of medicine in this country is stuff that is either you know, preventative or entirely elective. Mm -hmm. Which is why I am a proponent of the medic, you know, basically the coverage for all who want it plan. It allows people to upgrade if they want to go to a private insurer if they want, but make sure that every single person in this country has coverage. Yeah. My thing is I want for, for Medicare to Medicare for all to work, everybody needs to be bought in. And we may actually agree on this, but if you don't want base level Medicare for all, I, I'm totally fine with you buying a supplemental plan. I mean, that's that's capitalism, right? All you need to do is create an additional plan that will cover you for, I don't know, but like, like you guys are talking about, elective surgeries. But if you want that additional plan, it doesn't mean you get to opt out of the base plan. You, everybody has to pay for that base plan, and you'd get something on top of that if you'd like. Okay, I mean... I think that's one way to work it. I So here's the reason why I kind of like Pete's version of it a little better than that. And it, this is, I want to be clear, this is a subtle nuance to it. I really don't think that this is a huge gap, right? I think one of the advantages that, say, a an opt-out version of that plan has is it creates more competition for to give the best health care because it takes the price fa- – it, it, it allows the government to establish a, a low base level, which then now all the private insurers are competing with that. Right now in our health care system, and especially before ACA, um, it's weird to not call it Obamacare anymore. I mean, you can. I got so used to calling it Ob- Obamacare, but I try to call it ACA now. Anyway, before, especially before ACA, private insurance companies w- would compete with each other by increasing the quality and increasing the price. But they would increase the quality a little bit more than the competitor and the price a little bit less or, or whatever. But there's a lot of what you call perceived value built into that, where it's it's less about what you're actually getting from it and more about what you think you're getting from it. And I, th- I think the best way to understand perceived value from, in my mind is if you go to a car dealership, they'll add on stuff like free oil changes or free car washes. And that's all perceived value because 
in all likelihood, you're probably not going to use it at all. And even if you do, they're out almost nothing. It doesn't cost them anything. It's a convenience to you, kind of, but it doesn't really cost, you know, you're not saving that much. So perceived value is, eh. There's that, that meme, and I don't know what the meme is from, but the little kid holding the note, and he goes, oh, wow, this is worthless, right? That's Yeah, that's Gravity Falls. There you go. So, so, so at any rate, just to wrap up that thought, Pat. Yeah. So, so it used to be that these insurance companies would compete with each other by upping both the price and the quality. So say they, they'd go, okay, now you can get all of these things, and you don't want all those things, but you're going to pay that because you need that one thing off that right. list. By having one government standard, that's the that's the minimum. Everybody knows that they'll have what they need out of that and at a low price. Then. It, it, it really lowers the ceiling on how far companies can rack, uh, ratchet up the price, and it puts more onus on them to increase the actual value of what of the insurance they're offering. Hmm. So that's, that's yeah, the advantage. So, I'm done. So being unable to opt out, like, I, I appreciate that, like, you know, if you're in a catastrophic car crash, that you would still be able to get that covered. But if you're... If you're not able to opt out, you're in a sense getting billed twice. You're you're not able to say like, you know, I actually don't want to pay into this uh, single payer. Right. You are not able to do that. You're correct. Yep, that's a good choice. Uh, a good point. Also, I think so, it takes out so, that choice. So I'm losing a little bit of. I'm losing a little bit of freedom there. Kinda, um, but you're, so this you're, is what we're. You're you're looking at all the benefits. You're looking at all the benefits of this for you know people who couldn't afford it in the first place, and that's great. But we're also sacrificing something in freedom, in in choice. We talked about this, I think, a little bit last week too. The the idea is so. Uh, let's let's go ahead and set up this guy who believes in personal freedom. He wants to go ahead and insure himself, which is I don't have a problem with it like on its face. I'm young. I'm invincible. I'm not going to be hurt. I don't want to have to pay for health insurance. So I want to opt out. That's fine. The problem is how that guy reacts when he actually does get injured, because the opposite end of. I'm not going to pay for health insurance is that if you either if you have the money and you choose not to self-insure or like you choose not to get health insurance, that's fine. You just reach reach into your pocket and pay for that coverage when you need it. But that's not what those people are. Those people are broke and they want to use that money towards something else. So when they do get hurt, their option should be, all right, well, I'm going to die now or I'm going to try and deal with my broken leg on my own but that's not what they do they go into hospitals they go into emergency rooms and they still need help they still need coverage and we end up paying for them so it's bad faith for those people who are saying i don't want to pay for this thing because i won't take it like i won't end up using it because they do end up using it they just end up using it and we end up having to pay for them for for better or worse any medical facility any uh emergency room that ex accepts government grants mm -hmm. can't turn people with life-threatening illnesses away correct if i walk into yeah. a 
an emergency room tomorrow and I start complaining of chest pain, even if I have no insurance, they won't turn anybody away. And from a humanitarian perspective, that is wonderful. You know, I mean, yeah. I think that that... I'm not opposed to that at all. That seems great. I'm trying to work up an argument of how that's not great. But, I mean, when you talk about the finances of paying for it, that's that's where it becomes not great. That's well, that's on us. Like, we, we end up paying for it. It's us. Yeah. Let me help you out. That's exactly... I mean, that's why it's not great is... And, and I think there's another distinction to be made between health care and health insurance. These are two separate industries. Now, healthcare, the healthcare industry is going to treat them. But the health insurance industry, it works off of a pool system. You're pooling risk. And everyone who's paying into that pool is basically helping def defray the cost, split the cost of any injuries or maladies for everyone in that group. For, for lack of a better word, I, that, that really sounds like theft. To me. Well, the it would be it's theft if you aren't and if it's that's done what we're voluntarily, about. which is why taxes are theft, and it's why it, taxes are theft even if you don't mind paying them, because you, it's done involuntarily. You don't actually have a choice. But yeah, I'm just I'm just gonna go ahead and take umbrage with that. I don't need to I don't need to argue with it right now. Sure, but, sure. Uh, I do not accept what you just well, said at um, all. That's fine, and that's a conversation for later. And I'm, uh, but the, yes, absolutely. But um, it is if that's why it's important to me, and 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 I take it important to you, Pat, to have an element of choice in your healthcare. Now, that being said, I would be okay with maybe setting some like requirements to opt out of basic healthcare without a replacement. Like, if you want to get a replacement, then that's fine. You just show, you know, you link them up or whatever. But if you want to opt out and not buy a replacement insurance plan, then there should be maybe some sort of, like, threshold where you have to have some ability to pay for potential. I was scared shitless when they, when they came through with the universal mandate, when they started saying, you don't have an option to be uninsured anymore. Regardless of the the fact that a lot of people didn't follow that, you know, they called it this universal mandate and they're like, oh, you're, we're going to fine you as a part of your taxes if you don't buy health insurance. I don't, I don't think any part of that system wound up working and they did overturn that individual mandate. But, um, you know, that, that is another way of saying, you know, for being alive, you owe us money. And I, I have a real moral so, problem with that. Like if I if I wanted to go live in a shack, in the middle of nowhere, somebody would come knock on my door and say, "Hey, you haven't paid your health insurance." Okay, that's that that's just fine seems wrong to if me. you're the guy who decides to die in the gutter when he gets sick. That's like that's the only ethical way to make that argument is that you if you don't want to buy into it, that's fine. But you're option at the end of the line is death or like non-treatment of whatever illness you have because because people don't I, I because have, people don't make that choice what's the problem nobody makes that choice if like if that's a choice that you make i have very little trust in that this gigantic system that is going to collect and pool money from literally uh -huh. everyone in the country that that is going to be 
handled responsibly, that they're not going to come up with a way that like, oh, you know what, for this spending bill, we're going to just borrow a little bit of money from the universal health care and we'll pay it back next year and we'll use that to pay for something else. Like, that that's something that we've already seen happen. Sure, but literally every other industrialized country does it. It's it's everyone else does it. Like, we, we are the only industrialized nation that can't seem to get this thing done. I just don't tr- I don't trust our government to do that well. Fair enough. I and I think I this is this is like us talking about universal basic income, right? Like there's it's not to say that there aren't issues to be worked out. I would totally agree on that. Yeah, I think and uh, what Pat's sort of touching on is that our entire political system is is based on an assumption that all of the actors within it are acting in good faith. Right. We we know that which is a huge and obviously not reliable leap to make. Can 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 you explain that a little bit? Yeah, so so many of our systems are built and and let's just take I think it was in plainest view during the impeachment. The way the the impeachment process is set up is these senators, you know, the the house impeaches and then the senate holds a trial. Now, we just sat through and watched the Senate hold an absolute clown show of a trial because they had no intention of ever listening to any yeah, evidence or specifically the Republicans. taking it seriously. They had made up their minds right. before the impeachment was ever voted on in the House. And that's not acting in good faith. And that's, and that's acting in that, bad faith. Okay, can you can you link that back to um, like our assumption that everyone in the government is going to act on that good faith like how, can you relate that back yeah to so well it's your concern exactly that that if somebody comes in who has some different ideas of how this money might want to be spent that they can just come in and do that mm. and do it under the guise of trying to help the system or something you know think about the uh, just another example uh the the tax cuts that trump passed right when he took office was another example of how Someone acting in bad faith can can turn can use our political systems for their own benefit. And, and in healthcare, I mean, in a single payer system, like there's a ton of money in there. And you're a two, you know, I, I'm not necessarily saying I completely share this concern, although I, I, it definitely is there. Um, somebody could, you know, if let's say we pass universal healthcare and we elect another another Trump-like president in in a few years. And they appoint someone to administer that that universal health care program who uh, funnels the money back into the military instead or something like that. Yeah. To me, it's about being responsible with what you're being trusted mm-hmm. with. And I don't give the benefit of the, of the doubt or assume that that will be handled in a trustworthy way. Let's say that there's a bumper crop year and... The, the system is taking in much more money than it's paying out. And they say, okay, well, now that's great. We can use it on something else. And then the next year is a crash. You know, you, you've got to be a good fiscal steward of what you've been entrusted with. And with the rotating way that our mm-hmm. government works, like when can you ever really trust that there will be good fiscal stewards in I, place? I, I think the answer is that you just never. I can. agree. This is my big 
one of my one of my biggest complaints with sort of pro- with the progressive movement in general is like there we're literally sitting right through a four year example of why you don't want the government officials to have too much power and they want to create more power for the government officials and give hey, them more that. more power like so Trump has stepped into office and has used and abused the mighty power of the office of president for what three years now he has wielded it and 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 the reason it is such a powerful office is because for 200 years we've been injecting more and more and more power into this executive into the power of one person at the top of the government and or but even even just the federal government in in general has been just gobbling up power for the last 200 years and now okay. someone steps in who's not a good faith actor and look at what's happened i mean he dismantled so many programs that led to this pandemic that i mean literally the world is falling apart because one and, person had too much power and you want to talk person. about you mentioned it earlier in the episode my problems with obama him him not limiting the power of the president is my number one concern about him his drone strikes are my number one right concern. it was it was this I mean, it's been going on for a while, but it the problem uh, was put on steroids after 9-11. Mm-hmm. And so the the Trump administration is still trying to use some of those powers. Obama used some of those powers. It's not good, but I still am not connecting where you're saying that the progressive wing is trying to give more power. What I'm not sure what you mean by progressives specifically trying to give more power to politicians. Well, so, for example folding all of the uh, uh, an industry like the healthcare industry into the federal government mm-hmm. giving the federal government more power and influence over our lives as citizens and i'm not necessarily i'm not but they haven't done that yet right like they they're pro- like it's few, their number one thing but no so a few that, people have there's, a few people have proposed a generic thing of medicare for all they haven't said we're going to do it this way no one said we're going to give a government control of this thing or that thing so i'm not sure what you mean is my point so if i may if i may what? so um in a general way when you're talking about liberal values sure a lot of the policy proposals that are made are increase taxation increase government spending on social programs and expansion of the size of government and actually like we used to have conservatives that would decrease the size (laughs) of government that is no longer a thing um what what uh conservatives want to do now is they want to change the way that that spending happens but they don't mm-hmm. they don't propose decreasing government spending anymore so we have both parties now that are big government parties and i don't i don't see any reversal so, of that coming about anytime soon that's yeah that's my only confusion with the statement is it's not liberals it's everybody well so i mean uh, uh, like so i guess liberals want to do okay. it liberals want to do it for the benefit of the working class, and they do it ineptly, and Republicans want to and Republicans want to do it 
for the benefit of the 1% or rich people. And they do it corruptly. Yeah. <laughs> well, we don't... Yeah, well, everyone, they both Yeah, we do don't have a party but, now that's um, saying, uh, let's decrease the powers of the federal government. This was a big yes. debate. I would well, totally agree with that. Well, you do. You do have a party that says that it's just a joke okay, of a party. But in, in any case, we don't have one of the two major parties that are arguing that. But it was, it was a big issue in early American history, and they had this huge existential problem of... Do we want a standing army that is a uh, a national army? Do we want a federal government that wields any kind of power? And isn't that going to trample on the sovereignty of individual states? And now, like, we've come so far from that, like, it, it, it really is a big contrast. Right. And my thing is... I think this is a good idea. We just need to figure out the best way to implement it. Yeah, and and I don't think anybody I don't think anybody has gotten to the implementation part yet. I mean, Elizabeth Warren uh, always has a plan for something. I know that she had some plans for this, but even her plans were very very vague on details because it's it's not about the proposal, it's about what you can actually get done. Well, and that's the tricky part and and so then now you have to talk about how do you push through a bill, uh, push a bill through Congress when Congress is full of people who are getting checks from healthcare and pharmaceutical right. companies to not pass that legislation. Yeah, you 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 don't. I mean, you don't. You, what you do is you, right. we go ahead and <laughs> we have a separate episode on election reform <laughs> and we talk about that. But today we're talking about <laughs> universal health care or just, I guess, health care in general. And can we all mm -hmm. agree that uh, what we've got now is not working? Well, if you have like, a ton of money, you can really get the very best health care in the world in America. In Cleveland, especially. We do very well here. Yeah, I'm... I I wouldn't say that it's not working, but that's because I'm going to be semantic about it. I would say that it's working pretty shittily, and it's not really working well for me or and, and people like me or people doing worse off than me. It's doing pretty bad for those people. But it is technically working in the sense that it hasn't ceased I would argue working. We, we don't have the best system in the world. We definitely, we definitely, we definitely have – a lot of innovation in our system, which I think is one of the things that people are scared of losing. And I think that is a, a good argument. I think that's that's a good faith argument that you can make. We definitely do not have the, the cheapest system in the world. Our system does not work as effectively as other systems do that are on a single player system. I'll go ahead and put in a whole list of things here that uh, we do significantly worse than other countries. Fact check, fact check, fact check. And welcome back to Fact Check. Bear with me here. This is going to be a long one, but I think it's worth it. According to, well, a bunch of sources, all of which I'm going to link in the doobly-doo, per capita annual healthcare spending in the U.S. is $10,586, the highest in the world, compared to a global average amongst other developed countries of $5,287. Now, I'm no math magician like Andy, but that means that U.S. citizens are paying twice as much as the average. Let's see what that extra money gets us. The U.S. is 28th out of 36 for life expectancy at birth. 
We're 33 out of 36 for infant mortality. We're 30 out of 35 for unmanaged asthma. We're 27 out of 35 for unmanaged diabetes. We're 17 out of 35 for heart attack mortality. We're 18 out of 21 for safety during childbirth. We have to wait longer than average to see a doctor when same or next day appointments are needed. In terms of wait times, we rank 7th out of 9th. We're 8th out of 9 for people who use the ER in place of regular doctor visits. We visit the doctor much less frequently than those in other countries, and we have fewer doctors per capita than other countries. We have the highest rate of obesity, the highest chronic disease burden, the highest suicide rate, and the highest rates of medical, medication, and lab errors. A little good news, we have the highest five-year survival rate for breast cancer, but we have the lowest five-year survival rate for cervical cancer. Cancer treatments in the U.S., both to the patient and the insurance industry, generally cost between two and ten times more than the global average. Not only that, but cancer drugs will often become more expensive the longer they're on the market, which is the opposite of what you'd expect assuming you expect the healthcare industry not to be greedy monsters. We are second only to Germany in rates for hospitalization from preventable causes like diabetes and hypertension. We have the highest rates of avoidable deaths, meaning preventable deaths, that could be avoided with access to effective and quality healthcare. All of this is to say that U.S. healthcare at worst is awful and at best average for most. This is what the U.S. is paying almost double of the global average for. Let's get back to the show. Back check, back check, back check. We do, for example, cancer better than anybody else, but it also costs more here than it does anywhere else. We have more cancer-related bankruptcies than any other country in the world. Half a million households go bankrupt every year because of medical bills. We have the most elite doctors and we have the most advanced technology and I, mm-hmm. I really like our uh training system that is in place but it's very expensive to educate doctors and i want to continue yeah. to see them being a well-rewarded profession that attracts our best and brightest students you know if i need a heart transplant so- i want the best heart transplant doctor in the world to do it i 100 percent agree another yet another splitting hairs type distinction um but it's not splitting hairs i i don't want to downplay it so another important distinction to make here is the difference between so we talked about single payer which is when a single entity is is footing the bill we talked about universal health coverage which is making sure that anybody can walk into a hospital and receive care there's another thing, another term that gets floated around synonymously with those two, and it shouldn't be. It's not synonymous with them, uh, which is socialized medicine. Socialized medicine is the universal coverage, single payer, and all doctors, hospitals, everything is a government employee. Hmm. The actual health care is administered by the government your doctors your nurses your janitors in the hospitals are all government are on the government payroll right so so for example the va which is what everybody points at all the conservatives point at the va when they want to try and debunk universal health care coverage and they're not debunking it because they're 
that's not what it is. Yeah, so I mean, I just don't want a a Walmart bargain bin heart transplant. You know, so I I worry I that sure. if if everything is getting shuffled into evenly dealt out packets, that the the quality is not the same. Yeah, I mean, the UK is like this, right? The the UK uh, NHS is is socialized medicine. Um, and I think, Nathan, I think, did you say that you had a friend in UK? Right, I will probably, I, I don't want to jump in uh, too soon here, but I have a few friends. Uh, sure. I, I play, uh, do some online gaming with a few friends around the world, and I think I'm going to try and have a discussion with multiples of those friends all of whom live in countries that have some sort of universal healthcare system it'll be three different three different yeah, friends so, and, and three if i if i get the exact version of this conversation i want it'll be three different friends who live in three different countries <laughs> uh, all of who can talk about uh their version of healthcare awesome um and and so the the UK versus Canada, I think this, if you want to, like, two good examples of this, of the contrast between um, socialized medicine and universal coverage single payer. Canada is single payer universal. They, everyone pays into the medical insurance through the government via taxes or however they do it. Um, but the hospitals are privately operated and owned. The UK is, those doctors are government employees those doctors are um are uh, they're it's socialized medicine so um if you want a, an interest you know that's a cool contrast to take a look at and talk to those people people that I, from what i've heard i've never heard any i've never heard anyone praise the nhs in any oh, great I way i mean i'm um, <laughs> I'll be talking to him. I'm, I'm not I, saying it doesn't goal, happen. I'm just my saying goal I have is to, uh, to talking to these, uh, these other people. I think there is a bad faith argument made over and over and over again about how these systems in other countries are terrible, how you have long waits, how you have like this, that, or the other thing. And we don't hear from people who are actually in those systems, who rely on those systems. And I would argue a lot of those things that people say, like the long waits comes up all the time. Like, tell me the last time, uh, anybody in america saw a specialist without having to wait for weeks or months to get into that specialist it just doesn't happen and so we have a privatized healthcare system that has the same like problems that people are making bad faith arguments about public systems for so you have to be able to compare these things evenly and mm -hmm. i am less concerned when when i'm having these uh, these conversations when i'm thinking about healthcare i'm less concerned about personalizing it i i'm less concerned about my own health care i'm less concerned about my family's health care than i am about raising everybody's level of care because that mm -hmm. is when you're talking about a system you can't you can't think about how it's going to affect me as a person you have to think about how it's going to affect the entire country together Exactly. And so that's why I like a system that we were talking about earlier where everybody's going to buy in and you're going to get like base level coverage, but you can always go ahead and get the gold package. And if you want to wait less time or you want a better surgeon or you want this, that or the other thing, absolutely go ahead and buy some supplemental health care on top of that base level, the <laughs> the universal basic health care, if you will, and get that better coverage. 
But the first thing we need to do is we need to, like, if we're going to have a private system and if we're spending twice as much as every other country and if we are having all these things that come with our healthcare system that are not great, we're risking bankruptcy and all this stuff, we should at least have the best healthcare system in the world. And we don't. We have, like, the 30th best healthcare system in the world. So, so maybe this is just like you know too too bad you know salty potatoes, but you're not going. If I buy the gold package, you're not going to give me my baseline back in the form of a voucher or a refund. I no, just you keep lose you keep that. your no, you keep your baseline. You can go ahead and use your baseline for whatever the hell you want. This would be in addition to it. But no, you don't. You don't. I, I don't get out of. I don't get out of paying for. No, because you still have it. But if you don't want it, you still you have still it have anyway, to have it. and you still have to pay for because it because anyway. it's a bad it's bad faith to say I don't want coverage, because unless you are the guy dying in the gutter, you are not operating in good faith on that. Nobody wants to die. I'm gonna go ahead and throw throw that out there as a general a general blanket statement for everybody. Nobody wants to die, and if you get sick, you're gonna seek out help, and so you have to pay for that help whether you want to or not. There's a bunch of shit that I pay taxes for that I do not want to pay taxes for, but too bad, so sad. I still have to pay for the industrial military complex because that's that's part of the country that I'm in. Have you seen Millennial Humor? I, I think everybody wants to die. I'm not sure what you're talking about. That's <laughs> oh no, I'm I'm sure. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, it definitely looks like that. But what I'm saying is, I don't believe that that guy who says I don't want coverage, I don't want help, when it comes to the point where he needs help is going to turn it down. And that is why he has to pay for it up front. So, and that's the that's kind of the argument for universal coverage. Everybody needs to have coverage, right? But tell me if how would you feel if the only way you're allowed to opt out of that is if you have a replacement healthcare plan? I don't I mean, I don't want that to happen. I don't care if you have a replacement healthcare plan. Why? You can have extra healthcare on top of it. Why? Uh, because the only way it works is for everybody why? to buy in. The only way it works because it makes that's it not, that's no, not true it's at all. Absolutely, one hundred percent true. It only works if everybody buys in because it makes it less expensive and it spreads out the risk for everybody. That's that's the way this system works. That's the way every system in the world works. Okay, so may, maybe I don't think that my pooled risk is the same as the pooled risk for everybody. That maybe I think that you know I'm young and healthy and I take good care of myself and I make good health decisions and everyone that I see the the masses of people mm -hmm. are all making terrible health decisions and they're eating awful food and they're exposed smoking to, meth or smoking meth or you know making terrible life choices or exposing themselves to undue amounts of risk and I just – I don't want my risk to be bundled up with theirs, and I think that my risk pool should be lower. Or at the very least, we should be trying to get these people to <laughs> to like a nanny state, get these people to make, make better decisions, right. like give them incentives to make – better decisions. And there's an argument that those people would automatically make better decisions if they had regular access to a doctor that didn't bankrupt them every time they had to go in. 
if people weren't afraid. You can hope that's true. Right. You can hope that's true, but maybe, I mean, it's theoretically possible that the opposite is true, that, okay, now I have universal health care, so I'm going to take up drag racing or you know uh popping wheelies sure. on a I motorcycle mean, because now i have maybe, universal health but it's the, like, it's the same thing as that's, you that's possible it's, a, it's the same it's the it same, actually seems more like it seems like the same hope that you would have as a young healthy per- person making uh smart choices that you're not going to get like hit by a truck and break both your legs well, I actually looked both ways before I crossed Yeah, the but that truck hopped that uh, curb and you got screwed anyway. What I'm saying is it doesn't it doesn't matter. It it doesn't matter. You you still have so, to pay for it. You should have to pay for it because you don't know whether you're going to need it or not. So, can I and and I'm going to go back to what I said before. You said that it it the system only works if everybody is paying into it. Right, it's it, the most efficient it's the most efficient use plainly of the, not true no, because No, it's, it's the most efficient Okay, use now of that's the different. That's different. Hold on, hold on. Let me hold on. Because what you said was the system only works if everyone pays into it. And that's plainly just not true. I still don't think the system works best when everybody work pays into it. Maybe okay, now we have a conversation, but but we are right now we have a system where not everybody pays into the same insurance pool and it like I said, it it does not works. Work. It, it doesn't work sure great. It does not work. <laughs> it works. I mean it no, works. It, what it are you talking about? It doesn't work. No, you're you're being dramatic. I'm not being dramatic. People listen. People listen to die, me. People, people die unnecessarily. People have health insurance. People, people go to the doctor. I, uh, so people die unnecessarily. Okay, that's people it. Not working well. Unnecessarily. That's all right. All right, guys, 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 that, guys. I'm going. That is it. I'm not gonna, working I'm going to well. officiate this. You guys, you guys are each going to get. You guys are going to each get a minute and a half to have your say, and we're gonna we're gonna do this one at a time. So Andy, you already had a little bit of an opportunity. I'm gonna give Nathan a minute and a half, and for a rebuttal, sure. and then we'll go back to you, Andy. Okay? Sound sound good? So I don't All know right. that I'm gonna need a minute and a half. What I'm saying is, okay. for you to say the system is working is ludicrous because it depends on who you're talking to. Yeah, people do not have homes because of this. People do not have loved ones because of this. People die. I have read multiple stories about people who have been in the hospital getting coronavirus treatment, and their last words were literally, who's going to pay for this? We do not have a system that functions. We do not have a working system. I'm not saying that you can't get your leg fixed if you want, but that's not the point. We do not have a functioning system right now the way it needs to be. That's my minute and a half. Okay. Uh, all right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start you, Andy. Go ahead. I That just doesn't make any damn sense. So... All right, if if it's not working, we wouldn't have hospitals that you can go into and get treatment. If it wasn't working, you there wouldn't be insurance companies. You cannot say you can't equate working poorly with not working. Not working is doesn't exist, doesn't work. You cannot there are no hospitals, you you're fucked. You just die. Everybody dies. The fact that people that anyone can walk into a hospital and receive some treatment means the system is sort of working. It's not working well. It's not working efficiently. It frankly sucks. Granted, but that's not the same as not working. That's all. Uh, are you are you you gonna? Yeah, I'm done. Uh, that's fine. That's yeah, fine. I think, your time. So. I, Go we're not gonna. It. I I think we're we both kind of agree. Language matters. That's all. We kind of agree, but what you're saying is working is not acceptable. It is not a baseline okay level of success in our system. 
where what we what we give up not having a single payer system we don't get we get a baseline your system than every other industrialized country in the world and it's not okay and by that standard it does not work i understand what you're saying but I, language matters though so can can we just can we agree to call it can we agree to call it some other thing like there's there's working and there's working not working shittily? and we'll call this sure. x sure. i mean like i yeah I mean, I think I think at this point it is a it is a matter well, of just what you are naming the thing, and it's not really a substantive that big of me, a substantive difference. For me, the thing is what we have right now is unacceptable. It needs to change as soon as possible, and that that's my point. What what we have is not a a system that is acceptable as is, and that that would be my level of okay, it's working. Okay, if it's working shittily. Then okay, we can leave it as it is, and like it sucks, but okay. And I don't think we're there right now. So if I can pivot for a second, one of the central ideas to this is healthcare as a human right. Do you guys? What are you guys' thoughts on it being a human right? Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> okay. Well, that's I, I. I guess. Do you want to expand on that at all? But uh, do you have anything, Andy? No, I mean Nathan. Do you want to expand on that first? Yeah, I mean again, uh, we're the people who do not pay into the system right now. We end up paying for anyway. So I feel like what you were discussing earlier, Pat, your right to go out in the woods and live or die as you see fit. That's I don't actually have a big problem with that, uh, other than the fact that we don't live in that society anymore, and you don't have the option to go out and live in the woods. So I have to live in your society, so I should have the right to, you know, live in that society. And right now I don't have that right. Okay, so let, let me let me break it down another way. Do you have a right to an organ transplant? Do you still have the right to an organ transplant if the doctors look at it and say, you're a bad risk, there are other people that need this organ transplant more than you do or have a better survival rate where yeah, we don't I, think you'll do well with it. I mean, to what degree are we going to trample on that right? I mean, at, at that point, why even call it a right? I think you have a right to be put on the list. Uh, if you're a bad if you're a bad risk and there are other people in front of you, then so be it. But there's going to be a point where we can 3D print new organs, and at that point, who gives a shit? Like, go, yeah. go to so, town. I guess right. Uh, I think kind of going back go to that original question of how, is healthcare a human right? The humanitarian in me wants to just automatically say yes because I want. I, I think you know people's health is is super important and also very oftentimes affects the health of those around them. And so I think there's a lot tied into mm -hmm. that. But also I have to recognize that health. Healthcare and, and is a there's two actors there's the recipient but there's also the 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 provider and that's someone's job that's someone's livelihood and I don't know that I'm entitled to someone else's labor so uh, what I want basically what I'm coming around to saying I guess is yes I think everyone has a right to be healthy 
or has the right to have the ability to be healthy. And I think that how they get that health care can and probably should vary. My 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 personal thing is I don't I don't think it's a human right at all. Or or if we're going to establish it as a human right, that is definitely a radical divergence from anything that we've ever had before. But I mean, furthermore, I would argue that I just I don't think that it is or or should be. To to your point where you said you know I I don't have an entitlement to someone else's labor. I, I think that's exactly right. You know, a couple of uh, weeks or maybe a month ago, we, we had that discussion. And I said, you know, what if you are the last doctor that's on Earth? You know, do still pe- do people even in, in that odd example, even in that hypothetical situation, do people still have a right to your labor? And if you're the last doctor on Earth and you decided not to treat somebody like are you violating their rights by not treating them you know i think think that when you're talking about rights you're talking about something that is universal that um Mm -hmm. shouldn't depend on being in a situation where it is convenient to provide to somebody i i think that a right is something that you just can't be it's inalienable you can't be separated from this it's not given to you by the constitution it's given to you by god and the government just needs to get out of your way to not prevent you from getting it so that's that's why i think like there's a a characteristic difference when you talk about freedom of speech like okay that just means that we're not going to let the government get in your way of saying something that doesn't mean that you can't tell me to shut up as a private citizen but mm-hmm. when when you're talking about people have a right to health care that implies that there needs to be something in place providing that to you yep that's new that's that's a weird that's a weird new world that we're entering into but it's not new the thing we talked about last week that i'm going to talk about again is we we've decided that social security is something that you get to buy into as a country We've decided that we care about what happens to people, and that's we've already done well, it. So it's just a matter of degrees now. Yeah, how I, we're I, like I, how far we're gonna go. Yeah, and sorry. I would also can I just say one more thing real quick? I think the way we have set up our society with the amount of power we've given corporations and the limiting of people's ability to actually make a living anymore, there is a large section of our society that literally can't get the things that they need. They they can't, no matter how hard they try, make enough money to go ahead and get the things that they need. And so they can't pay into this system that they want to pay into so that they can stay healthy. I want to make a distinction. I think it would be super neat. Right. And I think it would be great for humanity. And I think that it would be beneficial and we would see all of these different um payoffs down the line like it would be a great investment in the future and a good way to spend our money i'm just drawing the distinction at whether i think it is a human right i i don't know if i accept that distinction i think we have the right to make a decision about whether to 
to seek medical care for something or not. But if we make that choice, I think it, the smartest way to make that choice is to do it through the biggest through insurance because it's pooling risk. That's the point of it. And the best way to pool risk is to pool risk with as many people as possible. So right. I think and, and and to that you know to that end then also even if you can't opt out of that system if if, if Nathan gets his communist way. <laughs> I mean, label it whatever um, you want. I mean, it's the most but pragmatic. Let's way. say, let's say, I, I was, I was kidding. Sure. If, if the, if the Nathan healthcare plan goes into place, I think even if you decide not to use it or you want to go get this other plan, but you can't, you can't opt out of this one, you can at least know that. Your, the cost of still being enrolled in this plan that you have no intention of using right. is as low as it possibly could be. So mm-hmm. there's that silver lining, I guess. What, what <laughs> I like about it is that it is making public uh, something that as, as an insurance company that's private, I feel like there is a very fraudulent claim that's being made. And the fraudulent claim is that we are going to pool this risk together and we're going to collectively take care of you guys and pay out money where it's needed in order to cover healthcare costs. But at the same time, we are going to do that at a profit. We are going to collect profits off of this as a payoff for right. our risk that we've taken out on it. Mm-hmm. But the the very the very conceit of that is that we are going to be collecting more than we are paying out. Like that just seems inherently dishonest to me. One, there's no benefit to them uh, conducting their business in an efficient way. They don't. They how much money is spent on trying to collect billing or arguing uh, with insureds about what's covered and what isn't. Or doing collections on past due stuff. Like, I would argue a good chunk of their business, the money that they put into is not spent on healthcare. It's spent on the business of the business they've gotten into. Right, and denying claims and hiring lawyers and fighting lawsuits. That just, that seems so, for lack of a better word, like wicked. That just seems like really cynical to me. And if... I mean, I usually don't trust the government to do anything right, but if if we could say that that is going to be not done for profit anymore and that's only going to be done, you know, as a public service now, I mean, I can imagine a world in which that might be an improvement. Like, I I hope that would be an improvement yeah. to, to I, say we're not going to profit I, off of this. Anymore. I will say that I don't inherently have, a again, sort of like – I. I I don't have a problem inherently with people making money by running an insurance company because, like you just said, Pat, they are taking risk in by going into that business, right? What if everybody? What if COVID nineteen sweeps the nation and everybody is racking up insurance claims or something, right? I mean, they are taking a risk. And so I think it's fair. I mean, they're they're going to start denying claims, and then they're going to declare bankruptcy, and they're going to say we don't owe you anything. Well, I think well that's the catch. I think it's fair for them to. I think it's fair for anyone to to profit from taking a risk. Um, however, 
I don't think, first of all, they're entitled to any government bailouts. I don't think anyone is. I think government bailouts are bad as a general rule, although there, I guess, are probably exceptions. I think the system would be probably more efficient if it weren't run for profit, more efficient for us, the consumer. I think it would probably be less efficient from the administrative side. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the upside, there'd be far less administration to do. Right. Because you wouldn't be worrying about the billing part of it. Yeah, there, there. I think it would come out in the wash or at least or, – or, or maybe even to our advantage. I think um, – it would, it would cost about half of what we're paying. I, how, how is that calculated? It's based on other countries and the way they do theirs. We, we, pay, we pay about twice as much as they do now. Okay. So per, – Per citizen. So say that was inaccurate and say we ended up having to pay 20% more than them. Well, we're still paying 60% of what we were paying before. Fact check. Fact check. Fact check. And welcome back to Fact Check. According to a study in the Annals of Internal Medicine released in January of 2020, which I'll put in the doobly-doo, the U.S. spent $817 billion in healthcare administrative costs in 2017. That's $600 billion more than Canada. The U.S. spends an average of $2,479 a year per patient on admin costs uh, compared to Canada's single-payer system, which pays $551 per patient. Eliminating administrative costs would save the U.S. six trillion dollars with a T over 10 years, all while ensuring that 30 million Americans who don't currently have insurance would have it, giving everyone a much better level of care and eliminating all deductibles and co-pays. And that's it. Let's get back to the show. Back check, back check, back check. Yeah. So, I mean... I, I don't want to interrupt you. you no, you, no, no. You keep I, on going with no, it's saying. fine. I think. I mean, I just am thinking like it's been done in a lot of countries. Eighteen countries. None of them are anywhere near. I'm looking through the list right now. None of them are anywhere near our size population. Doesn't matter. We could just break up into like sections of the country. I mean, you know, it doesn't have to matter. That's the thing. And and, and uh, that's so. When it comes to implementation of this stuff, I think. The most important thing is having everyone going into it with kind of open eyes to the data. You know, make adjustments. Our system probably isn't going to look like any of those other 18 countries who have universal health coverage. It's going to look a little bit unique, a little bit different, because we're a little bit unique and a little bit different. Uh, again, a uh, little bit unique means nothing. I know. It's it's binary. So That's all right. We are an odd people here in America. There you go. And um, and, and so our system's probably going to look different, and it's probably going to cost a little bit different. Like, I I think the, the point to take away from the fact that most of these countries have, like, a, a small fraction of our population is just that as we scale these models up, we need to be ready to make adjustments. Yeah. We need to know that it's not going to just scale up perfectly. And that, I think, is one of the biggest failings of uh, our people and our legislators is this idea that, oh, if something doesn't work just right, we have to throw the whole thing out. Now, I'm not – this is not going back to me saying our system, it doesn't not work. It just doesn't work well, right? This is not the same because I do think our system needs to get chucked. It's garbage. It sucks. But 
when you have something like, like, let's say we did take, say, the Canadian model and scaled it up for our population and did whatever, and, and it didn't, maybe there were like some longer wait lines than people want or whatever bullshit problem they have with it. Like, don't just abandon it. Make some changes. Find a way to improve on that, you know? Right. Not everything has to be a freaking revolution. But for healthcare, it's built on a rotting foundation. Okay. Yeah, sure. We can keep the buildings. Uh, I fine with the secretaries keeping their jobs. Like I like our doctors. There, I'm good with that. Again, I I'm not saying I I, mm-hmm. I I want to be clear. I am all about completely dismantling our current healthcare system and and just putting something completely fresh in place. In this in this example. That the baby's already died in the bathwater, it's okay to throw it out. Oh, poor, poor baby. That was wow. a little bit morbid. That's, but... that's pretty morbid. Uh, so I think that your willingness to go along with a complete overhaul of our healthcare system is going to scale along this axis, um, and this is something that I've touched on a little bit before, of how... To what degree do you feel like we are all in this together? To what degree do you think that, you know, your fellow man, your fellow American is sort of like on your side? Mm -hmm. I was talking about like familial preference in in regards to like genetic psychology. Like kin selection? Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, if you see yourself in competition with everybody that else that's in the U.S., you probably don't think it's a great idea that we're going to start paying for everybody's health care. But to the degree that to which you do feel like, you know, we are all just part of a big family, that that will inform your decision of like, OK, yeah, we actually probably should start getting everybody better right. health care and better outcomes. Well, so I want to disagree just slightly because I am a pretty intense classical liberal, personal liberties, all that kind of stuff, individualism. But also what's even even just selfishly, what's best for me individually as well as a part of the country is when it comes to health care to get everybody covered, to have everybody taken care of. I don't think that that is – that's something that you can arrive at either just pragmatically because the numbers do play it out. It is more efficient. Or you can arrive at it somewhat emotionally by saying, well, no, I think that we're all in this together. And that, But but I, I think it's very reasonable for someone to arrive at the conclusion that we need some sort of a, a universal healthcare system even if they are intensely classical liberal like myself. And I think – that hmm. people uh, vote against their own best interests all the time. We see it over and over Constantly. and over again. And I want to help my fellow Americans, even if I have to do it by dragging them kicking and screaming into the future. <laughs> Actually, can I can I go back? I just agreed with you about people voting against their own self, best yes. interests all the time. And I'm not taking that back. Sure. I'm not going to unagree with you but i kind of want to pick nitpick just a little bit because who 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 the hell am i to say what their best interests are they're the ones who can say what their best interests are so they're maybe voting against what i think their best interests should be i'm I'm gonna say that they have a perceived self-interest that is not right and that my 
estimation of their interest is more correct than their own. <laughs> but that's just me. Wow, nanny state path. If they think their best interest is making less money and dying earlier, then yes, they have a point to voting the way they do. But other than that, I'm going to drag them crick- well, kicking and screaming as best I can. All right, here, here, here's here's an example, okay? So, so cigarettes, and for okay. that matter, alcohol. People are free to buy cigarettes and buy alcohol. Sometimes we'll put a tax on those things, like, you know, we'll put a tax on cigarettes uh, because they are leading to bad health outcomes and that is actually costing money and we need to defray the cost of the bad health outcomes from cigarettes. Put me in charge? Eh, I'm probably just going to get rid of cigarettes. Well, that's the thing. And cigarettes is an interesting thing, too, because alcohol, you drink alcohol, and unless you, like, hit somebody with your car, it doesn't affect anybody else. But cigarettes can have an effect on the health of those around you, so there's, like, a different issue involved in it. Like, heroin would be a better example. Well, all right, can I – this is the this is the kind of strange place where I tend to live, um, and I and I encounter this type of conversation with my friends constantly because the vast majority of my friends are okay. are pretty far left, um, and and <laughs> I being really Involved frankly I'm kind of a centrist, but compared to most of my friends, I seem like freaking Mitch McConnell sometimes. Um, oh God, I can't believe I just said that. Can we? Oh um, God, I'm gonna throw uh, up in my gonna... mouth. I'm going to just repeat that at the end of the episode. <laughs> no. Oh, my God. He does look like a frog. Anyway, so so I seem – I kind of come out further to the right, but I have these – I'll have issues. Like I'll just use the cigarettes. I, I walk around, and I see people smoking cigarettes. In my head, I'm going, are you f-ing kidding me? It's 2020. You You know better. You know better. Why are you still smoking a cigarette? What is wrong with you? How have you not quit yet? But – at the same time, I would never, ever, ever go so far as to say cigarettes are outlawed or banned or anything. I, I think that's where I kind of stop in, in what ends up being a little bit of a weird place to a lot of people, where I will denounce something uh, but not want to actually stop people from doing it legally, Sure. if that makes sense. Right. I, I have my own kind of like fractured feeling about it because like i think it's fantastic that we have the right to do something but also if if i was king of the world and i was just in charge of everything like yeah i would i would totally ban a number of things like cigarettes and trans fats and think things that are just not helping so no one elect pat president (laughs) well i mean do you do you think that life is better with trans fats? Because like, well, I don't. They are I would make the argument that nobody's life is really better off with. I them. would argue that that's not your decision to make. I think that it's weird for me to be in this position because normally this is the argument you guys make, but I kind of don't care. Uh, trans fats hurt you as an individual. You eating them don't hurt. Doesn't hurt the person next to you. Yeah. So I mean, I know it sounds weird. That I'm taking like an authoritarian stance on certain things, but like I I have this very high ideal of people's freedoms that shouldn't be infringed upon, and then at the same time I realize that you know if I'm being frank, people are the 
there's this great quote think about how stupid the average person is and then realize that half of them are dumber than that i i don't i don't think people make good decisions and to the degree to which that i would be empowered to help them make better decisions i would try to let them make better decisions i i i i would not i mean i would help i would want to help them make better decisions but i would still want them to make the decision so for me it would be i would like if we're talking just using kind of the cigarette thing as a as an example Mm -hmm. i would be i would i would be in favor of like ad campaigns against cigarettes i would be or against the effects of tobacco um I would be okay with with even, you know, kind of a social campaign against them, making it not cool, making it weird or, you know, un, un, uh, uh, making it a negative quality to be a smoker. But at the same time, I still want to let people do it if they want to do it. Okay, but by the same token, like, we also uh, make sure that drugs are tested before they're put out and that they're not going to be harmful to people and we don't allow drugs to come to market that are just going to kill people and and the same thing with food like you're not allowed to sell food that is just going to kill people like i i don't see it as a huge as a huge freedom problem i I guess i feel like anybody who buys that product of yours probably kind of fucking deserves to have their teeth blown out like what the fuck kind of moron do you have to be to buy a mouth roman candle what the fuck? that's that's i don't like that distinction i don't think that that is a good argument distinction so if i'm if i'm in charge of ordering the danger of drugs like the schedule one schedule two drugs tobacco is a way way more harmful drug than a lot of a lot of things I think one big difference there is that the the negative effects are dramatic. They uh, the negative effects of a cigarette can be big, but o- but generally like only over time, over a lot of time. The the argument just lies in in sort of what you're saying that it, it gives it time to seep into the culture first before we know how bad it is. I am I think in terms of like product testing and safety, yeah, there should be some some basic standards. Um, but at the same time, also, I'm, I'm going to sit here and tell you I'm, I'm pro-legalizing drugs and not just weed. I'm pro-legalizing most drugs um, because what I'm more interested in – I'm not interested in controlling people's behaviors. I don't ever want to cross that line into telling people what to do. But what I am more than comfortable doing is educating and letting them know if you make this choice – Here's what it will do to you. Here's the effects that it will have. And if you still make that choice, then so be it. So nicotine is present in tobacco. Right out of the ground, it would still have nicotine and it would still be cancer-causing. It probably wouldn't be as carcinogenic, but it would still be cancer-causing. Is, is tobacco actually uh, – now? and this I'm, I'm genuinely asking. I don't really know. My understanding has always been, though, that – the tobacco smoking the tobacco itself isn't like the super harmful stuff i mean smoking anything is not great for your lungs right problems but um that really what makes it's the additives specifically the nicotine Uh, ammonia a chemical found in cleaning products and other additives may be added to cigarette tobacco 
and may increase nicotine absorption, making cigarettes more addictive. Oh, okay. Some additives are bronchodilators that can open the lungs and increase the amount of dangerous chemicals that are absorbed. I thought that they added more nicotine to cigarette tobacco. Because, like, I know that cigars and pipes are not nearly that addictive, don't have nearly the kind of nicotine content. But I don't know if maybe it's just like a, a different genetically engineered crop or if it's added in or what. So anyway, sorry. Yeah. So so at any rate, um, back kind of back to healthcare here. Um, right. I feel like, well, I'd like to, so I think we got to start coming in for a landing pretty soon. And I feel like one thing we, one thing we haven't covered enough yet are what are the arguments against it? I think we've gotten off on a lot of, uh, we've gotten sidetracked a bunch and I do not regret those sidetracks at all. Uh, I'm all about it, but what are some of the, like the thoughts against it? And my thing before was. It's not less expensive than the alternative. It's mm-hmm. not better for health outcomes than the alternative. So what's what's the benefit of our current system other than more innovative uh, solutions to problems, potentially because they dump unlimited amounts of money into the solutions? Sure. Anybody got a second one? Yeah, I do. Um, it uh, creates a broader job economy. If you have eight companies competing to do the same thing, that's more jobs than one entity doing that thing. Not to mention, we talked about all the overhead that gets cut out, but those are jobs lost. The lawyers, the the bill collectors, all of that stuff. So, I mean, like, all right, I'm not, also, I'm not saying that this is like, this is not my push to keep our current healthcare system here. I'm just trying to, I, I'm, no, I'm, no, fil- no, but you're, you're answering you're answering the exact yes. question I asked, which is I think it's totally fine. I I do think one thing I liked about Bernie's plan, and I think uh, Warren's plan also did this, is uh, they both included two years worth of severance for anyone who lost their jobs from the healthcare industry to give them time to get into a new mm-hmm. job. Because yeah, we are gonna lose we'll lose a ton of jobs under a new system, but uh, like it's temporarily temporarily bad for those people, but remarkably good for the country i want to be clear though so i am never really gonna like balk a lot at eliminating an industry that's outdated or unnecessary and and having those work as long as there's a a a process in place to keep those workers afloat and train them to get them into a new career change is good when it comes to the economy trying to hang on to an uh for and, and i'll just to throw up a different example, the coal industry, to hang on to the coal industry just because you're concerned about losing those jobs is harmful to them in the short term and to everyone in the long term. But it does have a necessary element to me of training. Hmm. Precious moments. Well, my precious moment of the day is that I get to stop editing for a little bit. As you can probably tell, we had a lot to say about this, and the episode ran long. We also had some technical issues that you don't need to worry about, but if I can, I just want to take this opportunity to say thanks for listening. I'm really enjoying this process, and I'm really happy with the episodes we've been putting out. Just a reminder, if you want to interact with us, we'd love it. We're r slash source on Reddit, or facebook.com slash source if that's more your jam. You can tweet us at dead underscore source. 
I think that's it. I can't bring myself to Instagram this stuff yet. Anyway, for our final fact check of the episode... Fact check! Fact check! Fact check! We love you. And that's no mini fact check. So for all of us, thanks for joining us. We hope you learned something. I really need to come up with a catchphrase. And love you, bye. Bye! seem like freaking Mitch McConnell sometimes.